Well, howdy. Good morning. Uh, my name is Austin Hornung. I'm on staff here at Anderson College, and I want to welcome you all to Grace. Uh, as If you've been here, as you know, we're in a series of the Psalms this summer. This is the third one, and there's a reason that uh, the, a third of your Bible is poetry and songs, and it's because we're not just supposed to think about God. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to feel things about him, which is why he talks to us in this way. So if you've been here with us, we've gone through a song of praise and a song of lament, and this morning we're going to look at a narrative song. So like Kaylin started reading, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. And um, God is the God of history. He is working. And so narrative songs, they, they show what he's done before so that we can see and, and worship and praise him today. And since we, have, since we serve the God of history, we have to trust that he is really in control by staying faithful when we don't understand, by believing that he's really working things for our good, and by remembering that his plan is bigger than any one of us. And so when I was a freshman in college, I, it was just like a normal day, a spring semester. I lived in Northside in one of the dorms, and I walked up to my dorm, and there was a note pasted on to the door of my room, and it was for me. And I started reading it, and it was telling me to go downstairs and to find this room, and uh, I was confused. And so I did what it said. I went down there, and I was looking for it, and I found it, and um, there was a police officer waiting for me. And I remember being really confused because I didn't think I'd been caught for doing anything illegal recently. Um, so I, I was like, what is he doing here? And um, so he starts explaining, and I'm still confused. And he hands me some papers and not handcuffs, thankfully. And um, I, I started to gather what he was talking about was this thing that had happened two years ago. And that I thought I was done with because you can only be sued for something for two years after it's happened, and I'd hit that time, but he started pressing charges right at the last minute. So I was being sued, and I was being handed these papers to appear in court and whatnot. And luckily, God has a way of bringing my parents nearby to help me out when things in life just kind of go sideways and go crazy. And luckily, they were there that weekend. So they're in the room, like, helping me figure out what's going on. And um, yeah, and so that that was just a crazy, crazy experience. Um, and I tell you that this morning because it's all about trusting that God is in control, especially when things aren't going your way and it's just everything seems like it's going crazy. So God will do things in your life that you don't understand and you won't want him to do. <laughs> That's just what's going to happen. And we talked about last week how those things will come, and when they do, you have to process with the Lord. But we're not going to rehash all of that this morning. Instead, we're going to look at how we can take those things and find perspective with them, that we can see God's perspective in our crazy life circumstances. And we're going to do that by looking at the story of Joseph. And, and through looking at that, we'll, we'll see that it's not only, God's not only working things for your good, he's also working things for the betterment of your character. And it's even bigger than you. He might be using crazy things in your life to work things in the lives of other people. So we're going to dive in to Psalm 105 this morning. And we're just going to see the first way that we can live out trusting that God is in control is by staying faithful when we don't understand. So Psalm 105 verse 16 says, God called a famine upon the earth. He cut off all the food supply. He sent a man ahead of the Israelites. Joseph was sold as a servant. The shackles hurt his feet. His neck 
was placed in an iron collar until the time that his prediction came true. So this is uh, an unnamed author. We don't get that verse zero that the compilers put together to tell us who wrote it. Um, But what we do know is that Psalm 105 is this narrative song where he he talks about a lot of things in history. And we're going to focus in on this one part of the story he's telling, which is Joseph's story. And it's my favorite story in the Old Testament. So for a narrative, you kind of have to have context for what you're talking about. Most of you probably know about Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Um, We're not going to focus on that part of the story, but what we are, I'll give you a little recap. So Joseph is Abraham's like great, great grandson. And so he's part of what God is doing in the world. And he's the favorite of his dad. So his dad has two names. His dad is both Jacob and Israel. And so he's his dad's favorite, uh, one of his 12 sons by four different women. So if you like reality TV, but find reading your Bible boring, you're not really reading your Bible because this is a lot like The Bachelor, but, and stick with me, but all, with a, he still picks a winner, but then he also marries the second runner-up, and then he also has kids with the third and fourth runner-up because the first two tell him to. So it's like there's crazy things going on, more than you'll ever find on The Bachelor. But Joseph is the, the favorite of the 12 because he only really loved that first girl that he picked, and she had the two youngest kids, and the second one wasn't the dad's favorite because she died in childbirth with him. So that leaves Joseph as the, the real favorite of his dad. And he knows it, and his dad knows it, and he makes sure that all of his other brothers know it too because he has these dreams and he tells them how they're all going to bow down to him even though they're older than him and they really don't like it. And it seems like he's telling them that not only am I dad's favorite, I'm also God's favorite. And so they're like, okay, well, they do what you know siblings do. They decide we're just going to kill him. You know, um, so they plot to kill him, but luckily the oldest brother, he's got some sense and he says, okay, I'm going to rescue our boy Joe. And so instead of killing him, let's just throw him in this well. And so he's off, he's trying to figure out how to get him out. And while Reuben's gone, the other nine, because the the little one doesn't want to hurt his brother, he's off with dad, but they decide, oh, look, there's some guys passing by. And so that, this is uh, Genesis 37, 28. If that was too fast of a recap, go read Genesis 37. It says all the same things in a lot more words. Um, but Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight says, So when the Midianite merchants passed by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. The Ishmaelites then took Joseph to Egypt. So for Joseph, things went from really good to really bad. He was dad's favorite. He's on top of the world. All the other brothers know it. And then just like that. He is not only in the bottom of a well, but then off being sold, being shackled. And what the psalmist leaves out, uh, there are actually some crazier things that happen. He kind of just says, and then he was in shackles until his prediction came true, which is true because he was this slave, but he got promoted. He was faithful. Even though he didn't understand what God was doing, he was faithful. He worked really hard as a 17-year-old kid. He was managing this whole estate for this really wealthy guy in Egypt. And he was even morally upright. The, the boss lady, the guy's wife, tried to sleep with him. Apparently, he was pretty good looking also. And he said, no, no, no. And then uh, she accused him of attempting rape when the opposite was true. And uh, so he ended up in prison. So he went from sold into slavery by brothers to in prison. And uh, things just weren't looking up for Joseph. And so 
so far, what are some things we can learn from his story? Um, you, you can probably learn that if you happen to be your parents' favorite, don't flaunt it or your siblings might try to kill you. Um, other than that, you can probably learn to be faithful when you don't understand what's going on. Because even though he, he didn't know what was happening when he was in slavery in Egypt, he worked really hard and he stuck to his morals. And he, even though they landed him in a bad spot. And so we have to stay faithful even when we don't understand what God is doing. And so we see Joseph's world collapse, not only once, but twice with the brothers, and then his boss lady turning on him too. And he probably is in prison at this point, crying out similar words to what we studied last week. He's probably saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Because I bet he feels pretty far from God in that time. But we see that even, even in the prison, he's going to stay faithful to God. He stays faithful, even though Joseph couldn't have understood what God was doing. Uh, Kind of like this. Dad's out shoveling the driveway. Mom desperately needed a treat to get through the rest of the night. So I'm hiding in the pantry. Eating a treat. Is that wrong? They don't ever go away. They want everything you have. See? She's always there. Hi. 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 So that's supposed to be us. That was Joseph. Even when things were going sideways, he and God felt like he was far away. He was there being faithful in what he was given. And that's what we're supposed to be like also. Luckily, God won't lock himself in a pantry with you on the outside. But we're still, if you were to do that, you should be like this. Um... Stay faithful even when you don't understand. So as thinking through this for you, what do you do when you don't understand what's going on? Do you, do you turn to those numbing things that we talked about last week? Do you search out for healing? Do you, do you stay faithful with what you're doing? Do you try to process with God and, and try to gain his perspective on your circumstances? Or do you just—I mean, what, just think about that. What, what is it that you do? And, and know that when those circumstances do come— because they will, that you should step into God and lean into him, even if you don't understand what he's doing. And so what is, so the psalm says that Joe's prediction came true, Joseph's prediction came true. Um, So what was that prediction? So we don't really get it in the psalm, but in Genesis we see that there are two predictions that came true that are kind of linked. And so the first one was while he was in prison, he met a cupbearer and a baker. They both had dreams he said, one's going to die, one's not, happened. And so the one that didn't die gets back to Pharaoh, and Joseph's like, remember me. And he's like, I will, and then he does not. And Joseph ends up in prison for another two years. But when Pharaoh has a dream, if you remember what we started reading in Psalm 105 about the, the famine over the land, when that famine is coming, Pharaoh's the one who has a dream about it. And that cupbearer guy actually remembers, oh yeah, I I met this guy that can interpret dreams really well. And so they bring up Joseph, and he tells Pharaoh, and he's proven that he can do it, that what he says, God's given him this ability to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh puts him in charge of everything. This is how the psalmists summarize it. The Lord's word proved Joseph right. The king authorized his release. The ruler of nations set him free. He put him in charge of his palace and made him manager of all his property, giving him authority to imprison his officials and teach 
his advisors. So God is, God is working, even in the midst of Joseph's life going crazy. He, it, it's a part of a much bigger story. So he's, he's sold by his brothers, and in that happening, he learned to manage a household. He didn't have that kind of experience as a shepherd. So he learns to manage a household, and then the second worst day of his life, when he becomes not just a slave, but a slave in prison, he gets elevated in the prison and learns how to manage the entire prison. And so you can see God keeps giving him this management experience because pretty soon God is going to set him to manage the most powerful nation in the entire world at that time. And a shepherd couldn't do that. But a guy who's spent years managing a house and managing a prison and overseeing these people, God's giving him experience for what he is going to ultimately be doing to save many lives, as we'll see. But Joseph doesn't realize that yet. But you can see his his experience, his life experiences increased. He went from shepherd, and even though it went bad for a while, he ends up as the second most powerful person in the world. So while he's there, he, he meets his wife, he has two kids, his life is really looking up. And despite these horrible things that happened to him, his life is, is better. It's ultimately better. He's got, like, objectively, he's got more wealth, he's got a family, he's got all these things. He's got more power, more influence, and it's all because of these two really horrible days in his life that changed his entire trajectory. And see, we have to believe that God is working for our good, too. It's not just something that he did for Joseph. This is a way that he works. And we know this um, because the, the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that the same thing is happening in our lives. That it's God is working things for our good as well. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So God, God for sure, he mourned with Joseph when Joseph was in slavery and Joseph was in prison. He was there with him. He was sad about it, but he also used it for greater purposes. He was working it for his glory. We're still, we're still learning about it today, thousands of years later, what God did in this time. So it's for God's glory, but it's also for Joseph's good. And he uses it, even though he didn't, even though he doesn't want him to be in slavery or prison, he uses those bad circumstances for good. And so we see um, that the author of Hebrews, he puts it a different way. He kind of frames these circumstances that will be in a different way. He says in chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, And have you forgotten the exhortation that was addressed to you as sons? And then he quotes Proverbs chapter 3. And he says, My son... Do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he accepts. Endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. So Paul says that he's working things for your good and his glory. The author of Hebrews takes it a step further and says, it's not only for that, it's not just a betterment of your circumstances, it's a betterment of your character. He's working these things to not only improve your life circumstances or, or bring good things out of it, but he's going to be shaping you. And it's a sign that he loves you because if God just lets you run and do whatever you want and didn't try to improve your character through these trials, it wouldn't really be showing that he loves you. But if he's, he's using them to, to shape who you are at your core and what you do and how you'll make decisions in the future. Hebrews 12 goes on to say something that we know to be true very intuitively. He says, now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. 
but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. So lean into God when you face trials because he's showing you that he loves you by working for, not only for your circumstances, but for your character. And sometimes before things get better, there's trial and it gets worse. Like it's all in Joseph's life. It, for his life, it got way worse before it got better. But it, he learned wisdom and built character. Because the next time he sees his brothers, he's not going to be flaunting that he's more powerful than them, even though, even though he is at that point. So we have to believe that things are working for our good and God's glory. And it can be really hard to believe that sometimes. Um, it really can. Because when I was a junior in high school, um, I went to spring break with my friends. We went to Port A. We were down on the beach for a few days, and then we were headed back. We lived in San Antonio, went to high school near there. And so we were headed back that direction, and um, I, my friend had a cell phone. He was doing directions in the passenger seat, and I pulled onto the highway just to realize I had, we'd gone the wrong way because it was taking a while to load. And so we're pulling on, and there's like a turnaround up ahead, pretty short distance, like three lanes across. And so I'm supposed to just head over to the turnaround as I'm pulling on. And so I, I was driving this like big old soccer mom suburban. I'm pulling it across these lanes, and I get to the turnaround, and I'm about to pull into it uh, when a car slams into the driver's side of my door. And I watch it come over the hood and hit the median and roll down the median, and our car is shoved into the median, and I try to open my door, but it's wedged shut, and uh, I check around. The other three friends I had in my car were okay, Um, and if you're ever in like a crazy situation like that, just you realize there's just holes in your memory, and so all of a sudden I was outside my car, and my friend was trying to run toward the car that was, you know, upside down, down the median, but there was like gas pouring out of it, so we're holding him back, and then the next thing I knew again, I was across the street, no longer in the median, and um, there was this, I was there with this lady who had pulled over, and um, if I've ever met an angel in my life, I'm, I'm sure she was a real person, but if God really does send angels to take care of us at crazy times, she was, it was her, because she happened to be a child therapist. She even kind of like looked like my mom, and um, she just kind of held us while we wept on the other side of the street, and um, like I said, with the first one, crazy things happening. My parents happened to be nearby for that time also, this first time. And um, so we had a ride back when the craziness died down. The other guy was fine. <laughs> Miraculously, he walked out of his car too. was great. Um, but both cars were totaled. And so we got a ride back with my parents. And uh, this ties in to the first story I told because this is why I was getting sued my freshman year of college. And so um, that, that time, that summer was when things started going forward. And I remember I was just sitting on my parents, they have a deck in their backyard, and it was the morning where we were supposed to go in and talk to these lawyers and whatnot. And I'm just like journaling, like my life depends on it, processing with God because I'm so scared. And I don't, I don't see how any of it makes sense or why, like, I mean, I'm so grateful that, like, no one was hurt or anything, but it's like, then what was, what was, what was the point of all, what is the point of all this? I'm trying to figure out, and, um, and I I don't really have any answers. I'm not sure I I came up with answers, really, but um, we go, and my dad and I, so I was 16, junior in high school, when the wreck happened, so my parents got roped into it, too, since I was a minor at the time, even though when I was a freshman in college, I was 18 by then, but 
in that time, um, I grew a lot closer to God. I, I, by the time we walked in and talked to those guys, I felt peace because I knew that no matter how it turned out, he was taking care of me. He was in control of the situation, even though I was not. And um, I grew closer to God in that time. I grew closer to my dad in that time who had to be in there with me and we had to be in it together. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what else good came from it. Um, my, I became a better driver. I know that. I, I'm very cautious with left turns now. I'm, we're like last minute left turn, not doing it. We'll turn around later. But I, I know that it's not just about me also, that there are other people involved. And maybe there's just been a few things in my life that God could have been using it. He could have been doing different things in other people's lives. And so we have to believe that God is working trials for our good. And so, do you trust the Lord in difficult things? Do you, do you look for ways that he might be trying to grow you? Because um, when, when, when trials come, when crazy things, when life goes sideways, you have, you, what we need to do, what we're called to do, is not just to, to lean into God, but to, to remember that he's using it for our glory, to believe that he's going to use it for his glory and our good. And remember that God might be trying to teach you something. Like the author of Hebrews pointed out, like we saw Joseph, he's going to have a correction in behavior also through his trials. But he might be trying to teach you something. So ask him, ask him, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this time? Because something good needs to come out of it. I need to learn something from it. So be pressing into him and not turning away from him when those things happen. Which... We'll see God was doing more in Joseph's life than just making him rich and powerful. Even, even that was for a greater purpose. So remember that the plan is bigger than you. That's the third way we can trust that God is in control. We can remember that the plan is bigger than you. And so we're in Psalm 105, verse 23 now. It says, Israel moved to Egypt. Jacob lived for a time in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful and made them more numerous than their enemies. And so this is um, Hebrew poetry. So there's lines, they have parallel ideas, there's parallelism going on. So uh, Joseph's dad had as many names as he did wives. So he's both Jacob and Israel. And so that's the first kind of part of that parallelism. And then the land of Ham. So it's not like Israel was the land flowing with milk and honey and Egypt was the land flowing with bacon. That's not what it means. It's not about bacon in Egypt. The land of Ham. Ham was one of Noah's sons that had a son named Egypt, and that country got named after him. And so land of Ham is the same thing as saying Egypt. So that's why that's kind of a repetitive thing. And then you can kind of see in the next line also, the Lord made his people very fruitful, and then it repeats itself, more numerous than their enemies. So that's kind of the structure of what's going on, but it's showing us that Psalm 105 is about a lot more than just Joseph. If you look at the portion we have read so far about Joseph, it's only about like six, nine verses, nine verses out of the 45 in Psalm 105. And that's because Psalm 105 ultimately isn't about Joseph. It's about God being sovereign over history and faithful to his promises and Joseph is just a tiny piece of the story. He's a big piece of the story because if the different things, these little moments in his life didn't happen, it would have completely changed what you read in your Bible because everything is dependent upon what happened to Joseph, as we'll see. But 
Psalm 105 is really about the Abrahamic covenant, this promise that God made to Joseph's great-great-grandfather, Abraham, that he's still fulfilling to this day. And so if you're not familiar with the Abrahamic covenant, or if you are, we're still going to read it either way, um, the passage about the Abrahamic covenant is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And there's three things that God promises to Abraham that Psalm 105 shows him fulfilling. And so, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Now go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and all the families on the earth may receive blessing through you. So there's kind of three parts to what God just... Abraham's not anybody at that point when God shows up. He just says, I'm here, I'm giving you these three things, and that's land, offspring, descendants, so that's the nation, and then this blessing. And so, why, why he's doing that, or what he's doing, is he's fulfilling these three things to Abraham, even, even now. And so, Joseph fits into that story, because Joseph went to Egypt, where Egypt, where he was sold into slavery. And what's going to happen, as we just read, his dad and his brothers are going to move there also. So, the whole nation of Israel is going to be in Egypt. They're going to survive the famine. Had Joseph not been there, they wouldn't have been going there. They probably wouldn't have gotten the food they needed because Egypt wouldn't have stored it up to be able to feed these other people. So God's promise to Abraham that went to Isaac and Jacob would have, Jacob and all his sons would have died in the famine if Joseph hadn't been sold into slavery and gone through all these crazy things. So it, it meant the salvation of his whole family and is the way God was keeping his promises. Also, Psalm 105 starts out with God going to everyone. It says, let all the nations know you. If you remember what Caitlin read at the beginning, that it would be, God's name would be known among all nations. And that idea starts here in Genesis twelve three that God is going to bless everybody through Abraham. And so we see the promised land promised, and we see the rest of the psalm, it'll go through Joseph all the way until when uh, Joshua and the nation actually get the promised land. So you see all these promises outplaying but it's even bigger than Joseph or the author of Psalm 105 ever could have dreamed. Because the New Testament tells us that there's one person who is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. It's this, this one offspring in which all the world is going to be blessed. And you guys know him as Jesus. So Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise and what's going on here. Because he, God inserted himself into our story. He came and he lived the life we couldn't died the death we deserve, rose again, offered us through faith. And it was promised way back in Genesis. It was brought about through Joseph. It's been carrying out through the whole story of the Bible, points forward to that being fulfilled. And Joseph realized it was bigger than him. He didn't realize it was God becoming a human bigger than him, but he realized it was bigger than him. And I just, I pray that we can get to the point that Joseph was at at the end, when he's able to forgive his brothers and, and see what God is doing. So this is the very end of the book of Genesis. This is what Joseph says as he faces his family again. Well, I'll just read it to you. It's Genesis fifty twenty. It says, But Joseph answered them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for a good purpose so he could preserve the lives of many people, as you can see this day. So remember that the plan is bigger than you. 
can you have the same perspective that Joseph did when life goes crazy? That it's not only for you, but it's for the preserving of many people. It goes beyond you. And when you're in those situations, ask God again. Ask God for that perspective. And so what we can really learn from Joseph and Psalm 105 is to trust that God is in control. We serve the God of history. And we can, we can trust he's in control. We can live that out in three practical ways that we see from Joseph's story. We can stay faithful when you don't understand. That means leaning into God and not away from him when life goes crazy. And we can believe that he is working for your good. Because he is. He's working all things for your good and for his glory and for other people. So ask him for, again, ask him for that perspective. Ask him what you can learn from him, what he might be trying to shape in your character and not only your circumstance. And then remember that his plan is bigger than you and that it can be like it was for Joseph, that you can affect, what maybe might seem horrible for you might affect people for just around you or for generations. And so what we're going to do now is you're going to turn to somebody next to you and you're just going to, whichever one of you, you can get to know them if you don't know the people next to you. And just whichever one of you can come up with a story first. Tell a story. Think about a time in your life when God has done something that you didn't understand what he was doing at first, but then it turned out good for you or for someone else. So meet someone around you. Make a friend. Talk. If neither of you can come up, at least you can get to know someone around you. So take like five minutes to do that, and then I'll pray, and we'll go back into worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the ways that I'm sure you've moved in many of our lives before to this point. Pray that we'd be able to trust you when life isn't going the way we expect, when you're doing things in our life that we might not even want at the time. God, I pray that you would just help us to lean into you in those times, that we would learn from you, that we would receive things that you might be trying to discipline in our lives, that you we would trust that you're working things for our good and for for your glory and ultimately for the good of other people as well. So God, I pray that there's something we can all take out of here today that we can apply in our lives this week. Lord, we just pray that you would move in this time of worship, that we would feel the presence of your spirit we'd be able to cry out to you, we'd be able to pray the words of these songs and, and communicate with you and feel close to you and lean into you even now. We pray all these things. Jesus' name.